Jim Rohn said that you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Who are your five? Are they already living the life you want to be living? If not, what does this say about you? After a series of events in my life, I realized I needed to upgrade my five. So I set out to surround myself with heavy hitting mentors, the people at the top of their industry. Fast forward six months, I'm surrounded by major CEOs, successful entrepreneurs, and high level real estate investors. These are the real conversations with my mentors. The conversations, unfortunately, most people will never get to have. I record and share them with you as a way to upgrade your five and accelerate your life, especially if you're willing to take action. My name is Jeff Woods, and this is The Mentee. What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 89 of The Mentee Podcast. In episode 88, we talked about why you should not start a nonprofit and specifically the wave of business that is coming and how if you want to be ahead of the curve, if you want to be able to ride that wave that is coming, the things that you have to do. Now, in this episode, I introduce you to a new friend of mine. I'm connected with him before I got here to Austin. He is a person, when I talk about relationships of circumstance versus relationships of intention, I set an intention to get into a relationship with this guy because as I step into this media company, I knew that I would have to start thinking a really big game. And I knew that we wanted to create a company that would play, be a disruptor out there, a disruptor in the way education is delivered. And so if you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with, how many people am I surrounded by who are big disruptors in their industry? And this guy is certainly one of them. He single-handedly disrupted the publishing space. He's the reason self-publishing exists. He is a massive big thinker and he's somebody that I have learned a lot from. And so I'm really excited for you today to get to meet Tucker Max. What's up, everybody? Welcome to today's conversation. Um, got my buddy Tucker Max with us, which Tucker, you may have heard of before his book, um, I Hope They Serve Beer in Hell. My wife blushed when she found out that you and I were friends. <laughs> <laughs> but um, he's gone on to scale some pretty massive businesses and make some pretty massive impact in terms of the publishing space specifically. He's really the reason that self-publishing exists and he's gone on to create Book in a Box, which has opened the doors for people to generate and create really high quality books. I've seen a lot of them and was actually blown away by the quality of them. Um, for people that normally wouldn't be able to get them out. And so I wanted to bring Tucker on today just because number one, he's a massive disruptor. Number two, he's a big thinker. And number three, he's been playing a big impact in my life in terms of a sounding board for me to have conversations with. So today we wanted to talk a lot about where the puck is going when it comes to business. Where the puck is going, if you want to be starting a business or scaling a business, how content comes into play, how you should be leveraging content, and the biggest mistake that people are making with content that will ultimately kill their business. So with that, what's up, man? Good, good, man. Glad to be here. Thanks. Um, so you and I were having the conversation, um, for those who are listening, Tucker came with me to, um, Gary Keller teaches a class called Empire Builders. And we were sitting in the back of the room talking and he was talking about how businesses who create content, like most podcasters out there, you know, we create all this content, we try to sell courses, we try to sell masterminds and all this stuff, how that's really a dying business. Go into that a little bit. Right. So, uh, hold on. It's a little different. What I said was businesses that rely on selling information are screwed. Uh, I actually think the future, in the future, creating content is going to be totally crucial. Being a good content creator is going to be a skill 
that um, every business is going to have to have because everything that can be commodified will be. And so essentially the only way people are going to be able to differentiate is not just quick content creating, but great storytelling, which is at the core of great content creating. What I said was selling information is a dead business because we live in a digital world now, right? So what that means is that... um, it's free to make copies. We used to use, live in an analog world, which meant every copy costs money. Let's just take books, for example, because you talked about books, uh, and it's a, just a, such a good example. It, it, uh, from the invention of the printing press until about, call it the year 2000, which is a little bit early, but it's good enough. So that's about 500-ish years. To make a copy of a book, first off, to set up to print a book was expensive. Then every copy costs money. Right? So when copies cost money, it creates a totally different set of economic incentives, and it creates a totally different uh, business model. Uh, and the basic business model is you sell the copies because there's no way for anyone to get around the fundamental physical truth that it costs money to print a copy of a book. Now, let's just use two thousand year 2000 as a breaking point. Um, uh, that's when the digital economy started, right? And the the fundamental difference in the digital economy from analog economy is that copies are now free. Mm. Uh, now, physically, it still costs money to, to physically print a book, but uh, if you think of a book as a set of information, right, uh, as an, a, a way to organize, collate and organize information, and you think of a PDF as a book, now copy ebooks are free, right? Right. Uh, to write it is a, a so the the setup costs obviously uh, opportunity costs etc still costs people time at a minimum if not skills but once it's done every copy is free so it totally upends all of the fundamental assumptions of an analog economy okay, this is pretty basic um, sort of if you understand everything from innovators dilemma all the way through all the stuff Kevin Kelly and all those people write but a lot of people still haven't kind of gotten this through their heads. Uh, because humans move slow in the aggregate. So I think so many businesses at this uh, still are about selling information. Uh, that literally is what every book publisher is about. They, they take uh, authors, they think are going to sell a lot of books or people, then they give them an advance. Uh, they then uh, go through the whole process of, of helping them edit, whatever, print, publish a book, and they sell copies. Uh, okay, uh, good luck, man. Um, uh, another example, people more in your space, information marketers. Like if you're putting a course together uh, about anything, it doesn't matter, how to start a business, how to write a book, uh, how to you know build a culture at your company, they sell those courses, right? Mm-hmm. You build an email list, blah, blah, blah. The course is 500 bucks, blah, 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 right? So here's why those businesses are all screwed. Because if you're selling information, there is another business whether it exists or not, that is your competitor that's going to come eat your lunch. And the way they're going to do it is they're going to give a copy of your exact information or something close. They're going to give that away for free as a way to generate leads and business for a service provider uh, or a, uh, for a version of your business that is not uh, that you're not able to give a digital copy away for free. Uh, like, for example, um, uh, providing a service. So like I just said, a lot of people, a lot of information marketers have courses about how to sell books or how to write books. Michael Hyatt or all these people, right? And a lot of them are good courses. But 
Uh, we actually have a book about how to write a book, and we're about to finish a course about how to write a, how to write a book. And they are at least comparable, if not totally best in class. And we're and we give them essentially away for free. Why do we do? How could we do that? Mm-hmm. Well, because we have a service where uh, people pay us twenty thousand dollars, and we essentially we don't ghostwrite the book, but we take them through our process. We turn their ideas into a book. So the course and the book that other people are selling copies of to teach people how to do it become a lead gen for us to get clients at 20 grand. And so you can't compete with that. There's no way paid competes with free. It just never, ever does. Not in the long term. Just cannot compete. And so that's why selling information is a dead business. Now, creating content is not a dead business because look at us. We've got to create great content in order to... Uh, to, to, to both outcompete people selling information, which is not so hard to outcompete them, but we've got to um, message a new thing, right? Because a lot of people think about books a different way. So we're teaching people how to think about a book as essentially a marketing tool to promote their business uh, or whatever. It's content as a way to promote something else, right? Mm-hmm. And whereas people used to think about books as the end of themselves. I sell the copy of the book, I make money. We actually tell our authors, don't think about that. You need to think about your book as a, a multi-purpose marketing tool to book speeches, to get clients, to get business, to be an authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so we've got to create really good content that teaches people that so that they understand how to monetize a book and they see the 20000 they spend with us as what it is, an investment and an amazingly uh, good investment for the right people because a $20,000 book uh, if it's done well, can for a great consultant or a great business can generate hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars. And we have so many clients who've done this. So really for us, it's just about tell- the telling the stories, the case studies and whatever. But we've got to create great content because if that content sucks, people won't believe it, right? Yeah. So, so that's where the distinction is. Uh, selling information, you're screwed. Using information and content to sell something else, you're in a great position. And I think this is where a lot of people who I've interfaced with, they realize how low the barrier to entry is when you start selling information. You can create it, you can generate an audience, you'll make money. Like it happens. Um, you know, I turned the mentee into a six figure business in a year. Right. And but I'm selling information. And so this is where between hearing you talk about this and then in a direct meeting I had with Gary Keller recently, we started talking about our media company and where we're going with it. We're creating all these digital courses. We are selling those right now. That's underwriting the business. But in the long run, to be able to give that away for free because we will develop, because we're going to have a platform on the back end, that's where the puck is going. And I just don't think people are thinking that way. They don't think a big enough vision, um, which is why I frankly wanted to have this conversation. Because people aren't telling this story very well. First off, because first off, most change, it, change is very slow and then all at once, right? Mm. So uh, look at the iPhone, you know, like look at, uh, just you go through the list of, it, it's sort of like uh, everyone, um, it's sort of like, oh, it's not going to happen, not going to happen. There are a lot of information marketers out there making millions, if not tens of millions of dollars a year who totally, I, when I gave that speech you saw, wherever it was, uh, totally dismissed me. And I'm like, I, I'm going to be wrong in the short term and right in the long term. I, like, clearly. And, and I'm not just talking out of my ass. I've literally created a company that is leveraging this exact wave that's coming. Like, mm-hmm. A lot of people are like, oh, how do these billionaires do it? They must be geniuses. Eh, well, 
Some of them are very smart, but most of the really, I've never seen a really smart person who created a huge company who was not riding a wave that was already coming. No one creates their own wave out of nowhere and rides that. Um, name, Name your person, Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, Richard Branson, go through the list. All of them rode huge secular business shifts that were coming. They happened to be really smart, uh, kind of created stuff early, just early enough, right? Um, but this is a massive shift that's coming. Um, we're just one version of these companies. There's so many examples. Zenefits is an example. Uh, uh, Wealthfront is an example. Mm-hmm. I mean, my God, dude, the in the financial information space is so big, hundreds of billions of dollars. And except for the very top, it's going to be totally replaced by robo-advisors or their equivalents, mm-hmm. right? So one of the things that I've admired about you, that right away, like the moment that you and I first spoke, I just could, I, I saw you were a really big thinker. You were just always, you had such a deep understanding of what the market was, where the competition was going and where those waves were. Where did that come from? Because I don't see that very often. That's a good question. I don't know. Um, I, honestly, I feel like I read people much smarter than me, and I just uh, honestly, a lot of times I ask myself how other people don't see this. <laughs> no, because I'm not uh, like the God's honest answer is uh, maybe I am coming up with some some little things on my own. I feel like I just read really really smart people who are who who see really far, and I stand on their shoulders, and I don't really even see any further than they do. I just kind of repeat what they say. I take their ideas. I think probably what I do is I take uh, ideas that are that can be very complicated but don't have to be, and I'm able to simplify them and then apply them to an actual uh, uh, reality, mm-hmm. right? So someone like Kevin Kelly or Clayton uh, uh, Christensen or uh, what are some other really deep thinkers, uh, Paul Graham or um, – uh, they're, they're those people who really, they think, uh, you know, Alvin Toffler is kind of an older school one. They think multiple decades ahead. I don't think I'm, I'm not ahead of anybody. I'm just reading those dudes. I understand what they say. It's not so hard to understand if you actually read it and pay attention to it. And then I know books and I know publishing and I know stories really well. So I just think, all right, how does it apply to this field? And then uh, I kind of see it and I'm like, all right, then that's it. Like, uh, I, I feel like, I almost feel it's like it's cool you said that. I appreciate it. I almost feel embarrassed because I feel like if you just read, um, there's, there's a great book coming out. Uh, Kevin Kelly wrote a book called The New Rules for the New Economy 15 years ago, mm. which if he released today would seem like a little, maybe two, three years. Uh, uh, it would seem current but not cutting edge. He released it 15 years ago, dude. Mm-hmm. And like, uh, uh, it, it's incredible. But Kevin, uh, he just wrote a book called The Technium. I mean, I just read that dude, man. And he just lays it all out. He gets it. He's one of those people that Ray Kurzweil is another one. Peter Diamandis is another one. Just read their books. And those dudes are, are they're the type of guys who can't get their pee in the toilet, but really truly can't <laughs> see decades ahead. <laughs> That is like, awesome. No, they really can't. They're the nicest guys, but like they have problems buttoning, buttoning their shirts, like those sorts of guys. Mm-hmm. They see decades ahead and they write it all down. Well, just read it and then say, okay, what business am I, am I in? How does this apply to my business? How can I be one of the first ones there? Well, what you're saying is very aligned to at least my journey as well. Is 
if you go back to that Jim Rohn quote that you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with, yeah. that doesn't necessarily mean you have to be in person. I started long before I had the network that I had, started reading Steve Jobs. I was reading Richard Branson. I was reading Warren Buffett. I was reading Abraham Lincoln, JFK. I was tapping into the minds of some of the greatest leaders and just trying to figure out what are their little pieces of gold that I can that resonated with me that I can embody and take action on. Mm-hmm. It just it just makes sense. That, that's all I do, man. Uh, I, if I have a skill, it's I'm able to understand deep, brilliant minds and simplify their messages so that other people can understand them as well. That's it. Yeah. So let me ask you this. Um, one of the, I think, the biggest lessons that I've learned over the last year and a half on my journey was that the moment that I was willing to be honest with who I was, mm-hmm. plastered on a freaking billboard and say, this is who I am, that's when all of a sudden I started attracting all the right people into my life and repelling all the wrong people out of my life. It took me, gosh, almost 29 years to get to the point where I was willing to buck the trend, that I was willing to stand up and, and, and take a stance. Most Yet, people never get there, dude. <laughs> exactly, which is where I'm going with this. When you look at the greatest leaders, the most successful people in business, they are willing to be that empire builder. They are willing to challenge the status quo. You did this a long time ago. You know, when you wrote, I I remember I asked you this, you know, you wrote an incredibly controversial book and I hope they serve beer in hell. What the, first and foremost, what the heck was going through your mind and why did you even want to put that out there? Here's another example of like, um, it it almost sometimes pay. Who's it? Mark Twain has a great quote where he said, if you have ignorance and arrogance, success is assured. Uh, for me in my check 20s, and check for you. Yeah, right, totally. <laughs> Especially in my 20s, my mid-20s, I was so profound. I was the most ignorant because I thought I knew everything and I knew nothing. I knew the opposite of everything. Uh, uh, so I, I was really deeply uh, the embodiment of, of uh, ignorance and arrogance. And so I also happened to uh, kind of luck into the right thing at the right time. Uh, now, I tried a lot of things. Most things failed, as, 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 as that's just the way it works. But um, uh, and the, the, also, uh, the other answer to that is uh, I hit something that worked and I carried it. But the other answer to that is, um, did you read Peter Thiel just gave a, a commencement speech somewhere like Hamilton College? Mm. Uh, he just it like came out a, a few days ago. I'll look it up. You should uh, put that in your show notes or read it yourself. Because he talks about how the most important turning point in his life is is uh, a failure he had. It wasn't really a failure. It was more like he didn't get a Supreme Court clerkship. Like he was in the final 10 and didn't get it, right? And if he had gotten it, he's like, I would probably still be a lawyer somewhere or a judge or whatever, right? Uh, but I didn't get it. And so I was freed up to try this new path. Mm. Uh, I, I'm not as brilliant as Peter Thiel. I had to like get fired from from not just my job as a lawyer. So I was in a similar boat as him. Went to similar law school, had similar opportunities. Uh, he just didn't get a clerkship. I got straight up fired from a law firm. So um, there was that. And then I went to work for my dad, and he fired me from the family business. <laughs> my dad, my own father, fired me from the family business. So um, those two things coincided with me trying a lot of different things and then happening to hit on something that was really popular and then having the, um, I almost don't even want to call it courage. I just kind of, it's like, all right, this is the thing I can do. I'm going to pick this up and run with it. Mm -hmm. Um, So a lot of people want to like ask this of, of successful people. It's like, oh, tell me your steps. The honest answer that most successful people should give, they usually don't. But the one they should give is, 
Uh, I had a little bit of talent, a lot of dumb luck, uh, and probably I don't even understand what made me successful. Mm. Uh, Peter Thiel had enough, I think has enough self-awareness to know, to see at least one step, right? Uh, and I've, I think, I think learned enough self-awareness to where I can tell you, um, yeah, I had some talent, but the God's honest truth is, I think in a lot of ways, um, I kind of hit the lottery. Mm-hmm. You know? um, I was just right place, right time, right voice. It, it, if I was 27 today and tried to do today what I, what I did in 2001, it wouldn't work. Definitely wouldn't work the way I did it. Uh, maybe a version of it would work differently if I started on YouTube and, and right. Snapchat or whatever. Maybe. Maybe. Probably not, though. Um, so, so much of it is, is seeing the opportunities in front of you and then either being willing to take them or, or having failed and lost so much that you kind of have nowhere else to go. Like, the, I'm the same thing, man. If I hadn't been fired from two jobs, I might still be a lawyer. I might still be running my dad's company. I... In fact, I almost certainly would have. I, I, I doubt I would have had the courage. Mm-hmm. At the same time, you know, you go down this road. That was a chapter in your life that you've completely turned to a new chapter. I mean, the time that I've spent with you, it's very clear you're a completely different person. And going through that shift, and this is where you know, the, the theme between these is having such conviction in who you are and what you stand for and being willing just to go that path in spite of what people may say or think, what was that transition like when you're going from that Tucker Max to the new Tucker Max? Uh, so you mean like emotionally or you mean like having the courage of your convictions? For me, they're two different things. Go into both. Okay, so courage. let's start with courage of your convictions because that's easier. Um, man, I forget who said this. Someone really smart. <laughs> said uh, smarter than me said that um, that if you haven't done the work to have an opinion you shouldn't but if you've done the work you should uh, be willing to have the courage of your uh, convictions right and to, that's that, that to me that, that was really brilliant and it summarized something that I think I uh, have always done it kind of dovetails exactly what we talked about earlier you're like how are you such a big thinker and it's like, man, I just fucking read. I read smart people. And then I say, oh, wow, they're smart. And I get what they're saying. And then I apply it to the, to the world, right? But the reason, like, uh, when I talk about that stuff, I have such confidence and courage is because I've done the work. Mm-hmm. I have actually read those books and read them deeply and thought about them deeply. And then I've also read, like, counter opinions. And I've looked at other opinions and conventional opinion. And I've really kind of taken all the ideas and really distilled them and battle-tested them and stress-tested them. And the, the opinions I have, they could be wrong, but I have them for a reason. And I know what the reasons are. And so if you challenge me on them, which is totally fine, I love, I'm able to discuss them cogently, intelligently, uh, and, and energetically because I've done the work and I know why I think that, that way. And I know... Um, and I know like, if, what facts, if they change, would make me change my opinion, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas most people, dude, they're, even something basic like their career plans can't withstand 30 seconds of questioning. Like, I can't tell you how many people who come to me like, here's my plan or my startup idea. And like, it's like six questions it takes for me to dismantle their entire worldview, uh, which tells me, not that they're stupid, they just they they had never they had not actually done the work to have an opinion or to have an idea. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and that's the diff- that's why I have courage in my convictions. But the part of that is I'm always willing to change my mind. The, that, that's a great John Maynard Keynes quote. Uh, when the facts change, my opinions change. You know, I, when the facts change, my, I change my opinions. What do you do, sir? Um, so uh, I know why I think what I think. And I, God, I can't tell you how many times in my company. I'll think X and uh, 2X comes along or Y comes along. And I'm like, crap, that totally alters everything I think now we have to change. Uh, and it's frustrating, but if, if you know from the beginning that why you think what you think, the new facts don't, they may annoy you, but they don't bother you and they don't keep you from changing your mind. That's courage and convictions. The emotional stuff, totally separate. Um, I think most of my problem, my, for my career, my life, the cap on my success has been myself and has been really my anger and my inability to both deal with and understand, refusal to understand and inability to deal with my emotions. Uh, and I made almost every decision I've made in my life that was bad came from, was an, a deep emotional decision that I didn't know I was making as an emotional decision at the time. And so for me to fix that, it took four years of psychoanalysis and meditation, which I still do. And a lot of work on myself and a lot of painful uh, self-realization uh, and those sorts of things, uh, which suck. But I was able to kind of come out the other side. And it's not like I'm fixed. What I have now are a set of tools where I'm able to kind of course correct and self-correct. And you can't ever control your emotions, but I can at least understand my problems. And I can... I'm pretty good at understanding when it's like, okay, now I'm venturing into territory where I usually make a mistake. Mm-hmm. So I, I either stop myself or I kind of go in and then I self-correct. I veer out. I think about these things like, um, it, look, man, we just had, I just went through this in my company. It, we're 20 months old. We've done like $4 million in revenue uh, with a brand, really unlocked an entirely new sort of business model, a new value chain. Uh, and, we were fucking up big time and it was my fault. And uh, I was only able to see that because um, I'd done this work. And long, long story short, I ended up firing myself as CEO and replacing myself with another guy I hired who you met, JT, who's a baller. He's amazing. He has all the skills that I don't have. Like I'm really good at some things, but I'm not good at certain things CEO has to be good at, which is attention to details manage uh, individual people manage, especially a growth CEO, an entrepreneur. Like, so that's really a CEO slash COO. Um, and he's so good at those things. And uh, I had to set my ego aside and say, you know what? I'm not good at it. I had to see it, accept it, and then have the sort of courage to say, if I want this company to succeed, I have to bring in someone better than me mm-hmm. for, for this role. Well, I remember when we were sitting next to each other at Empire Builders and Gary is talking about what you look for in a CEO and there's two types of CEOs. There's either the one who wants to get it to to, to do it now, to do it fast with people and the people who want to do it fast, do it now alone. alone. And you you immediately point yourself, you're like alone and Gary's like, I'm a do it alone. The problem is you can only get to a certain point and Gary ultimately had to fire himself from Keller Williams and bring in Mo Anderson. You did the exact same thing. But um. It's really yeah. interesting. I, I, I think the last six months that I've been on the ground with Jay and Gary and learning what it takes to truly scale a multi-million dollar company. Um, it's breathtaking, isn't it? Yeah. 
And so, man, like I've built companies that have done a few million in revenue, but like there's a break point and it's somewhere between call it two and maybe 10 million, depending on the industry, right? Where you go from like, dude, like everything changes, man. When you have to scale a company, everything changes and it changes in ways that not people think humans think linearly, but scale requires exponential thinking. And that is just not your brains are not our brains are not equipped to do that. And if you aren't good at it, everything breaks and you have no idea how to fix it. And all your instincts are not only wrong, they usually make things worse. Mm-hmm. And I have seen it first, first, firsthand with my company. And like, um, dude, it's mind blowing. Well, I think that's where it comes to the the quality of the relationships that you keep. I mean, I knew in my bones I always was destined to own my own company but I was presented with a choice. I can go at it on my own or I can put myself in a position where I've got a guy like Gary as a partner and a mentor. What's going to set me up for the longer term success? You have surrounded your, your network is ridiculous. Um, you know, the access to people that you have that you can mind mind map with and just, and go back and forth with that makes all the difference in the world. Yeah, well, the difference though, how old? 29, right? I'm 30. 30. Okay. So I'm 40. You Are you really? This? Yeah, I'm 40. Okay. So you learned this like eight years ahead of, of what I did. I think I learned this somewhere in the last two, three years. Like I, it wasn't just learning. I knew it in theory. Like knowing shit in abstract is great, but it took me at least 37-ish years before I genuinely emotionally connected with the, the thought that I can't do it all myself and that I need help. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, that was a really difficult thing to um, to understand. And G- Gary's a uh, uh, quadrant thing about uh, <laughs> it was so good, man. It was so good. Yeah, it was totally. I was like, ugh, and it was so <laughs> simple. But that's the, the most genius stuff is always super simple and articulates uh, something that you knew but couldn't articulate before. And um, oh god, it, like it was so me, which makes sense because think about my first my first business was art, basically writing. You can do that totally alone. You don't need anybody. Uh, if you're if you you can you can just work on it and work on your skills and do it alone, right? So books I crushed at, and then I went into movies, totally failed. Why? Movies are a collaborative art. No one can do a movie alone. Impossible. Totally impossible. And I did I did amazing up until. Like the whole, I hacked the Hollywood system, all my deals, everything I got, whatever, all that stuff. That's a whole different sort of podcast episode. But as soon as it got to the point of making the movie, I blew it all up. Totally, uh, that was, I was 32, 33. Mm -hmm. Totally unintentionally because all my emotional issues um, screwed up how I dealt with people, how I thought about things, how I saw myself. And so it took me from that point and seeing the movie fail and then I had to accept it was my fault. Like I, I could blame the director. He was a piece of shit. Guess who hired him? <laughs> you me. did. Me. Uh, uh, and so why did I hire him? And we could go through all kinds of uh, uh, more things like that. And so I had, to, I had to swallow that turd. And then I had to be like, all right, how do I fix these things? Mm-hmm. And then I thought I had it fixed. And, and so I was like, all right, great. And Booker Box is doing amazing. And, and, scale, and then everything started breaking because scaling breaks everything. Mm-hmm. And I realized I had, not, I, had, I had accepted the stuff and I had, fixed it in that I had recognized it was there. I had not actually done the work to change. 
And so, or like change quick enough to, to scale with the company. And so I realized I had an option. Either I can focus everything on changing or I can just accept I'm never going to be that guy. I'm never going to be the growth CEO, the CEO that's do it with other people. And I can just go hire that guy and then I can be what I'm really good at and not learn something else. And I had to, it was, man, it was, it was, a, it, it was a very profound moment for me to accept my limitations, to accept I needed help. That, that forced you to be vulnerable, forces you to, um, to kind of crack your grandiosity if you have those issues like I do. Um, and, then, um, and then admit publicly, because at least on my team, uh, and now I'm doing it, I guess, to the world. Um, like, uh, I'm not good enough to do something. I need help. Um, uh, which is like, most people are like, of course you do doofus. Like you didn't build your computer. You didn't build your house. You need help with a lot of things, obviously, but emotionally connecting to that mm-hmm. is it, for me at least was really hard. I think for a lot of people, uh, it's hard. And that's what I was saying earlier when it comes to understanding who you are plastering it out there on a billboard and saying, this is who I am. These are my strengths. These are my weaknesses. This is what I'm destined for. And this is what I have zero business doing. The moment that you can get to that point where you recognize what your one thing is, what your true genius is, and to put yourself in the position where you're just doing that and surround yourself with the people, surround yourself with the team and the systems that bring everything else together, it just works. Yeah, yeah. Cool, Cool, man. I'm looking for some parting words for you from you, and I'm not quite sure where to go with this. But I guess I would just say you have um, you've lived some pretty interesting experiences, and I talk to so many people who say they want to be an entrepreneur, they want to build their own business. In my heart, I know that most people are not destined to be a number one. What would your advice be to the people who know they want to make a change, they want to have a taste of that entrepreneurial life, but finding the right fit for them? That's a great question. Um, you know Charlie Hone, right? I do. I yeah, took, a, Charlie, took a nice walk with him. Charlie's a good, good friend of mine. Um, I just had this conversation with Charlie. Charlie keeps trying to be a number one, and he's not. Uh, Charlie needs to be part of a team. You know, he needs to be like uh, one of the five empire builders, like Gary talked about, right? Um, and uh, he needs to be one of that team. Does he know and, that yet? Yes. Well, I finally helped him understand that. How long and, ago? A month? <laughs> okay, cool. Then I'll talk to him again. <laughs> two, two months? Okay, cool. I, I'm not sure. Uh, it, I, I think a lot of people... So a, here's the... A lot of people want to be an entrepreneur because they want that title or they want that status or that prestige. Very few people want to actually take the risks that are necessary to do that. Uh, it's sort of like they, 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 they don't... It's not like they don't want to work hard. Like Charlie's a great example. Charlie will kill himself working hard, but there's a big difference between working hard and kind of having the the mindset to be a number one. We, we've got a couple people on our team at Book in a Box. Uh, I'm thinking about like um, our head of book creation, uh, Hal Clifford. Brilliant dude. Like he's, I, I feel like way smarter than me. Uh, and we were talking about this and he, he feels like he lacks the visionary gene, the number one gene. He's like 50, so he's older now, he's accepted it. The dude's crushing in our company. He's so good. Like, we couldn't run without this guy. He's more valuable at this point in the company than I am, e- easily. And, um, but he still kind of looks down on himself in a way because he's not in charge of his own thing. And so we actually had a talk with him. I had a talk with him and with, Char- with Charlie. It was the same basic talk. It was, why do you feel like the only way you're valid is if you're in charge or you're number one, uh, the number one, so to speak? And we kind of unpacked that. And I think we realized uh, they both kind of came to a similar thing is that 
There's, I think, a narrative in our culture that the only person that matters is the chieftain or the leader or the head or whatever. Uh, that's mostly bullshit. Um, there are very few businesses and very few operations where the head person is actually really the most important person or the one that should be giving the credit or the one that actually does the work that matters. They're usually, uh, uh, maybe they, they started it, they took a risk, they had a certain skill set that at one point in the company's history was utterly crucial. But at this point, they're a figurehead, you know? And, and so a lot of people, you need to decide kind of what, not just what you want to be, but why a certain vision is important to you. And then understand, does, does your skill set match up with that vision? I just had to go through this. Mm. Like, um, I basically realized I'm never going to be a CEO. Like the way that you really think of a CEO, uh, like a, an operational person, um, uh, someone who, who actually manages people and runs a company, because exactly like Gary said, I'm, I'm do, it, do it fast and do it alone. So I have immense skills that I can bring to bear on the companies that I found and that I help build. But I kind of have to be siloed. Like I literally am the head of marketing in my own company. I'm not at the top of the org chart. Um, which is uh, uh, one of the, so to, anyway, to answer your question, let me get all, bring this all the way back. Once I had this talk with Charlie and Howe, I think for them it was really relieving. They were like, wow, I can just own who I am, find the team I really, in Charlie's case, find the team I really want to work with, but in Howe's case, he already found it. And I can just crush that every day and that will give me meaning and purpose and uh, uh, I can really deeply feel fulfilled because I can let go of these things that I think I want but I actually don't want. And I can find a place where I actually fit in the world and it gives me everything I want. That's the thing that I think most people have to do is you've got to really sit down and think, what is it I really want? What is it I can really do? Where do those two, where those two circles overlap? Where does that fit in the world? And if, when you find that, that's kind of like getting to the top of Maslow's hierarchy. But people, so many people think, I've got to be the one in charge. I think it's just because so much of our media celebrates, tells the stories and celebrates, uh, like, Richard Branson, right? Mm-hmm. But, like, how many people are really like Richard Branson? Not many. So why, why try and be someone that you just can't be? It's like, um, dude, no one wanted to play in the NBA more than me. Uh, when I was a kid, I, I was good at basketball. And, <laughs> and then one day I woke up and I realized I'm six feet tall and white and an average athlete. I got small hands. I'm not fucking playing in the league. And it's not, there's no barrier. No one's keeping me out. I just don't have the ability. I don't have it. There's no amount of work that's going to get me there. There's no mindset that's going to get me there. There's no course I can buy that's going to teach me how to be in the NBA. But people think of entrepreneurship as the same way, except it's not. It's really not. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't want to act like it's like you're either a born entrepreneur or you're not. It's not necessarily true, but it, it's like uh, I, Charlie and I thought about this. And I was like, dude, why don't you figure out r- what you want to spend your days doing, what things really matter to you, and then go look at companies that are that have roles where you, they need someone who's, who's going to spend all day doing what you want to do, and you like what they create, and you like that team because. Every single one of those companies, whether your role exists right now or not, is going to hire you in a second. Uh, so you can just go in and say, look, I'm the guy you need. Here's why. Um, and he was like, oh, yeah, I never thought about that. Because he had the script in his head, I have to be the one who starts this or it's not valid. 
It's total nonsense. Does anyone say Uber, the only person at Uber that matters is Travis Colliner? No. Hell no. That just makes no sense. Makes Is the only person that matters in America Barack Obama? No. no. Uh, come on. Donald, you know? Donald Trump matters. <laughs> well, he's probably going to beat Clinton. I'm telling you. Like, people are doubtful, but uh, it wouldn't shock me. But that, that's a different conversation. But the point is, right, whoever becomes next president, is anyone going to say the only person that matters is either Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton? Hell no. So why do you think of entrepreneurship the same way? It's totally valid to work your skills, develop amazing skills, and then go join a team that does something that you believe in. Mm, I love that. I love that. Writing that down. All right, man. I think that does it. Cool. Thanks for the time. I appreciate it. Um, people want to learn more about you. Where can they go? Uh, Book in a Box is just bookinabox.com. Uh, it's a pretty cool uh, service, but we're expensive, so not for everybody. Um, and then uh, learn about me. Just go to tuckermax.me for my new stuff. My old stuff is I mean, just going to any bookstore. Yeah, yeah, sounds good, man. Well, thanks for the time. I really appreciate the relationship, and uh, we'll have to grab a beer again soon. Well, there you have it, my conversation with Tucker Max, and clearly he is a very, very smart guy. And the things that really stick out to me are when it comes to mentorship, sure, in-person relationships is huge. But if you don't have that connection, that's not an excuse. You have books, you have podcasts, you have blogs, you have access to the minds of some of the greatest people out there. And Tucker just studied those people. That's how I started too. I, I just consumed content from some of the smartest people and let it seep into my subconscious. It shaped my values. It shaped my vision. It shaped my perception of what was possible. You have that opportunity. And so I challenge you, what are you doing with your time? All right, how much time are you watching TV? Could you be doing a digital course? Could you be reading a book? Could you be reading some blogs? What are you doing when you're driving? Do you listen to the radio? I haven't listened to the radio in two years. I only listen to audiobooks or podcasts. It's called Auto University, people. You have the opportunity to impregnate your mind with such quality, with some of the greatest thoughts from some of the greatest leaders. That is before you. Now, the other thing that I'm really taking away from this is to learn from your failures, that they truly are gifts. If you've ever heard me be interviewed on other people's platforms, then you'll hear me talk about how those defining moments that I went through, my colleague having a stroke, me losing 40% of my income, those were some of the best things that could have happened to me because they made me wake up. They made me wake up and realize that I needed to make a change in my life. I had gotten too comfortable. The golden handcuffs, I liked them too much. And gold's not even my color. I needed to make a change. So those things that are popping up in your life that you think are adversity, that are challenges, you're asking the pity party questions, why me? They're gifts in disguise. What can you learn from them? And finally is just to, to work on your skills. What are the skills that you wanna be known for? And can you see where they're gonna fit in the world? So. Hopefully there were some provoking ahas here. I'd love if you guys go to mentipodcast.com and leave a comment below this episode and let me know what your ahas were. I'd love to engage with you guys there and just to see what sticks. 
I really craft this content based on you. So we've revamped the website and I really would just love to see you guys go there, post your comments there. That way I can interact with you and also see what type of content I need to be creating moving forward because I do this to serve you. I do this to add value to you. So with that, thank you so much for listening to this episode. Next week is episode 90. We are getting crazy close to 100, which is really exciting. And we're going to talk about some of the most important things that I have learned since I've been on the ground here in Texas, working with Gary Keller, working with Jay Papazan, the things that are making a massive difference in how I show up in the world, how I'm getting things done in the day, and how this will help you get more done in less time.